Bandwagon Nerds is taped in front of a live studio audience. Hello again, fellow basement dwellers. It is your good friend, Patrick O'Dowd, welcoming you into another edition of Bandwagon Nerds, a part of the Chairshot Radio Network here on the Chairshot.com. And boy, I love a show that writes itself. And this week, we got to we get to have a show that writes itself. As we are, of course, going to be talking about all of the big news surrounding Disney, the Marvel Cinematic Universe, and streaming services. A conversation we haven't been to in a while, but man, did it explode in a big way today. Of course, I am not here by myself doing this coverage. The whole bandwagon, and I mean whole, W-H-O-L-E, Bandwagon is here today as I am back from vacation from last week. Gentlemen, thank you for holding down the fort. Welcome in, everyone. PC Tunney, Ray Cash, and David Ungar. And Dave, Dave's a little sad because he has no sports teams with talent anymore. Uh, Tunney, I think, is riding pretty high uh, as his, his Bucks, you know, top of the basketball world, his Brewers leading their division. And, and Ray... I just know you're happy to be here because I, I, a little birdie has said that this is like the highlight of your week. I got a joyful response to receiving a rundown. So thank you, uh, gentlemen. And um, yeah, I am thrilled to be back. But I wanted to start today um, by just going back to last week's show because it felt like there were some questions that I, that I needed answers. One, Ray, Dave, you had me yelling at my speakers in my yeah, car. That's good. That's good podcasting, then. Effective work, Ray. Way to go! Hey, congratulations, Mister Ungar. Yeah, well done. We're trying to get a reaction, and there you go. And, and, I, and I told you guys that that you got me yelling because whether and the response I got to to from the two of you was that the conversation you were having didn't you didn't think it sounded the way that I took it. Which fair. So for folks to catch up during Marvel talk, uh, when talking about Blade's new director and the Inhumans coming to the Marvel Cinematic Universe, Dave and Ray started having this conversation that really felt like they were saying that the MCU's got to show me how they're going to make this work. Talking in reference to vampires and the Inhumans, and, and it just kind of was like. I, 
why the lack of faith? Now, you guys, and you are you are more than welcome to to state your case as to why you uh, you feel like I take it wrong. But it really sounded like you were you were saying, I don't know about this. They're going to have to do some wizardry to really pull this off. And in some respects, I guess I see your point. In others, I didn't, specifically around the Inhumans. I think the Inhumans are very easy to write in, even if they've been around forever and you don't know about them. Uh, Blade, I think Blade's going to be a multiverse answer. Uh, Vampires don't exist in this world, but, you know, they exist in another world and somehow end up in whatever you want to call it, the MCU uh, universe. But it just, gentlemen, do you have that little faith in Feige and the MCU? They're 22 films in. Dave, what's wrong with you? <laughs> I No. I think I speak <laughs> on behalf of Ray and myself in saying that we have all the faith in the world that Marvel is going to pull this off. That there is, there is never a, it was never insinuated or in, indicated or remotely suggested that Ray and I did not have faith that Marvel will be able to pull this off. All I think we were saying is I'm curious how they're going to explain it and how they're going to make all of this make sense. Not that they can't, but more like how are they going to do that? And what are some of the theories as to how they're going to do that? Uh, And I, yeah, I mean, Ray, you jump in here whenever you want. I, I didn't get the impression that we were casting doubt on Feige or Marvel's ability to do this. And Pat, if you took it that way, then that's, you know, it's certainly up to interpretation. But I can I think on my end and on Ray's end, I can say that that was not our intent to call into question Marvel's storytelling ability. They have amply proven that over over a decade now that they're capable of doing that. I think we're just curious. Okay, how are they going to write vampires in there? Yeah. Are they going to be multiversal? You know, the Inhumans are on the dark side of the moon. Okay, great. When are we going to mention them? Um And I know, Pat, Mm -hmm. you've got theories that they've already kind of been mentioned, which I I didn't necessarily see. But I'm not not saying that they were mentioned. I'm saying that they've laid the groundwork to explain how they appear. I think there's a couple of ways that you can do it, because my point was the vision says very clearly in Civil War that the advent of Tony Stark saying, I am Iron Man led to an exponential increase in and basically i've been watching a lot of the flash so i'm sorry meta meta humans appearing and meta creatures appearing and so that there was a a connection almost a causation of the revelation of iron man then leading to kind of growing upon itself super beings in the marvel cinematic universe It's, it's the batman theory there's no Batman. There may not be a lot of the rogues he faces. Yeah, and it's a it's a very pointed point. Uh, but just to, to double back on David, to, to double back on Dave. I I completely I get where you're coming from. We did that wasn't our interpretation. I thought we were pretty clear, but we may not have been. Uh, but I'm I'm really curious how they're gonna do it. And more importantly, to kind of take a quick little pivot, I'm hoping that they even they don't need to, but I want them to. And that's a concern of mine because they very easily could just say, hey, they've been here forever. And, you know, that's sure. it's cool. I would like to see a little more connective tissue. Um, I appreciated how they explained Captain Marvel not being around all those years. I appreciated how they explained nobody knew about Spider-Man. Well, he didn't have enough stuff and he was from the neighborhood Spider-Man. I appreciated that they gave enough forethought to those things to make them make sense. So you can't go back and say, well, damn, and. 
2008, when all this shit was happening, what was going on, you know? So I just like for that to continue. They don't have to. I would like for them to. Sure. I will say I, I'm I'm more interested in in the vampire and how they make that. So I think the Inhumans are set up relatively easily for us to buy into. If, if for no other reason than the Inhumans were human beings experimented upon by the Kree. And so you could even lay the groundwork for their introduction in the second Captain Marvel movie, Captain Marvels. You could... Because the Kree is an empire, right? It's a galactic empire. It's like the Shi'ar empire. It's like the scrolls. So it's so vast and huge that it's really easy to see that there might be two arms working independently of each other and, and not necessarily the connective tissue between our heroes mm-hmm. being there. So I, I actually think that the Inhumans, whenever they show up, is going to be a little bit easier to explain. Tony, my favorite part about your participation in this conversation was you're just like, hey, man, I'm just watching. <laughs> like, that's the PC Tony are you? Like, he, he, was, he was not all in on that. Uh, other reflections from last week's show. Ray, I hope you watch Dune. I hope you give it a shot. Um, it is, I, I did, I know I didn't sell it to you very well. Cause I described it as game of Thrones <laughs> in space and you were like, Oh, I'm not watching that now. Here's, here's, here's why, it, where the connective tissue is with that is that it's really about these like intergalactic Royal families. And there's this one family that's kind of a family of destiny, the Atreides family. And you follow Paul who that's is Timothy Chalamet, right? Yes, I think so. Um, and, and Paul's story is one, it's almost like Michael Corleone of a young man who rises to power and then faces a, a, a horrible downfall over the course of multiple books. There are multiple right. Dune books out there. They're massive volumes and quite the undertaking to read. They're extraordinarily complex, which is why even one book I get why it's being made into two movies because it's this first, expensive. yes. Oh, it's, it's, it's strong interconnected stories. They, they, it's, and it just spans like time and space. It's, it's huge. So yeah. I'm very, I'm very excited about the epic nature and scope of it. And, and it looks really, really good. Uh, and I just, I, you know, give it a shot in the theaters. I'm assuming there will be a lot that'll be weeded out because it's just too much. Well, you but, say give it a shot in theaters, man. If we don't get our shit together, we may not be in theaters to watch that damn uh, movie. Well, we're going to get to that a little bit later when we talk about news around the nerdosphere. Uh, but you do segue really nicely. Uh, you know, a little bit too much time in the introduction. I wanted to just give a couple of thoughts on the show. All in all, though, good good work last week, guys. It's always a pleasure to listen to the show. It's kind of surreal to listen to a show when you're not on it. Uh, in fact, I do believe I heard those exact words from Mr. PC Tunney this week as well. Um because it, it's always one of those experiences where sometimes I'm sitting there listening, I'm like, God, what the fuck are you guys doing? And then I'm like, oh, yeah. Like when I'm yelling at you about speculation regarding, you know, the Marvel Cinematic Universe. But uh, no, it was good. It was a good listen. I enjoyed it thoroughly. Well done, sirs. Well, before, this- we, before we move on, we should note this is a milestone. This is the 90th episode of Bandwagon Nerds. We are 10 away, gentlemen. Milestone. The hundredth episode is the milestone. I'm still ninety. Still, I mean, we're we're in we're in the home stretch now, guys. 
This is right. the 10-show well, warning. Yes. I'm just happy that the 10-show count is going to be at a place where I could actually attend it. Because I, I was trying to do the math earlier in, this, in the summer and was worried that on a couple of these days in August – when I, when I can't be on the show that, uh, that I was going to miss it. Um, which I wasn't going to let us miss it. We were going to cancel it and do it another day. <laughs> but just no fucking way of missing the 100th episode of bandwagon nerds. No way. That's just not going to happen. Take a few weeks off, you know, and then come back and right. be at a hundred. Yeah. Right. So we, we've got a loaded show this week. Of course, we're going to wrap up the show talking all about Scarlett Johansson and her beef with Disney. Uh, but before we get to that, this week we are going to start a new streaming program uh, covering. We're going in a little bit of a different direction. I'm kind of excited about this because this is less speculative and is going to be much more about just talking about the content of a show because we are going to be covering the Netflix streaming show, This Is Pop, which hit the service about a month ago, I want to say it's been on there for a little bit, but it's an eight episode breakdown of popular music. And just looking through the various episode titles, there's all kinds uh, of title, uh, just it's like a variety of stuff. And so I was thrilled about the first episode. Well, I'm at first break. We do have some news around the Nerdosphere, just some things that have happened over the week before we get to the big news item after the second break. Uh, I'm excited. Gentlemen, let's talk This Is Pop. So this first episode, this documentary episode, or this documentary series on popular music opened with a 45-minute mini-doc on the band Boys to Men and how they took over music in the first half of the 1990s and to kind of get things kicked off i just want to do a quick once around from all of you just thoughts on the band itself boys to men because i love boys to men i went and saw them a few years back when they visited the state fair circuit and visited the big e in massachusetts and did a show there and that place was hopping for for all three of them that are still still touring as a group and, and they still got it as a even as a trio it was just amazing to see and i remember like coolie high harmony was one of my favorite go-to cds to listen to when i was younger um with motown philly and it's so hard to say goodbye to yesterday and just just good good stuff so this is this is our first kind of go around of covering music as a series and i'm gonna start with pc tony um thoughts on boys to men as a band i think you you kind of captured it there one of the greatest bands as far as vocals concerned ever and the way they would kind of you got to see a little bit of how they were like they'd get put on the spot and they're like well hold on hold on we got to make sure we do this right if we're going to do something we're going to do it right we don't want to sound like shit so very very smart individuals musically right and boy i i can't remember not going to a dance and hearing our wedding and hearing something from boys to men um they're they're so unbelievably relevant as far as pop culture goes and the genre that they consume and they literally consume almost all of that genre. Uh, they are one of the greatest musical groups ever, regardless of genre as well. Very good. Dave, your thoughts on boys to men, you strike me as one of those angry metalheads who didn't listen to them very much. <laughs> I, I don't not. know. I don't know where you got that impression from. Maybe three weeks of musical chairs. Listen, listen to cheer shot radio this week. Yeah. And, and you'll hear all Dave's opinion. Yeah, I of my band. No, I I thought your band was an excellent choice this week. Um, 
boys to men is um yeah i i think you know pat's known me enough now to know that wherever my musical tastes lie and i respect the hell out of boys to men they get they're obviously uh, you know as far as singers go they are tremendous as far as harmonies go exactly pat that uh, as far as harmonizing goes they are absolutely magnificent their influence on um on pop music in general is is without question they're i guess setting the template for a lot of these boy bands to come along who weren't just like there for looks but actually had some talent like NSYNC and 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 uh, what was it 98 degrees well maybe you know that's that's debatable ba- backstreet boys backstreet yeah. boys uh stuff I, like that 98, 98 degrees in the documentary literally talked about how they completely stole everything from boys to yeah ab- absolutely it was Shay, like owned it absolutely well, they did and this is yeah and that's nothing new in the world of music i mean you oh, know yeah. Everything's been stolen from from the culture, if you will, from going way the fuck back to oh, sure. you know blues, oh. blues and jazz and rock and roll and Elvis and everything else. So it's just yeah. another Chuck Berry. Uh, Chuck yeah, we're, yep. and we're gonna I mean, we're gonna hit on take, that because take, take, take it as a compliment. <laughs> yeah, right. so I would say in general, my my thing is I respect them. I was never a massive fan of them because when they were in their you know in their prime i was listening to something completely different but you know now looking going back looking back on it looking at them now oh yeah their their uh, influence on on pop music and just music in general yeah probably i i would say i underrated them pretty tremendously over the years i would i would have to go and say that yeah it's okay you did ray your thoughts on uh on boys to men by the way was happy for you to hear boys to men as a band acknowledge new edition because you were talking very powerfully about they better talk about new edition and they brought they brought them up so i was glad i was happy for you i appreciate that i was very appreciative i was happy for michael bivens because you know i'm sure you're kind of on the level just musical boys and men fan doesn't know the the kind of the the connection between the two but Michael Bibbins got a chance to explain how intricate he was into the things he made them record it so hard to say goodbye. Not that one, not that one. It's the other one. Um, I'll make love to you. One, one of the two. He forced them to do that and they didn't want to do it. And then they realized it's the biggest song they ever had. So um, one of the baby making songs of all baby making songs, man. Dude. Look, so voice to, to me, great to screw to just totally great to screw to pretty good. You, you're, you're pretty much guaranteed. I didn't just didn't want to have that kind of picture of you today, Patrick. But thanks anyway, buddy. <laughs> I'm, I'm just saying the panties will drop. You play little boys to men. You play the right tune. You are going to you are going to score. Especially if you're of a certain uh, age range. Oh, it's guaranteed. Oh god. Oh, god. Um, to just kind of be simple, so we can kind of get deeper into this, boys to men. Are, and I'm including Michael McCrary, the guy who left the bassist. I'm, so I'm counting as a quartet, the greatest quartet music vocally in, in music history. I don't think any four people that work together in concert have ever been better vocally than Boys to Men. Are there better bands in terms of selling records or in terms of maybe performances? Maybe. But in terms of just vocally singing, there's no four better people in a quartet than boys to men ever yeah it's i'd be hard pressed to i I mean i'd have to go back and look and see what was going on you know in motown back in the 
you know, early 60s, 50s, their influences, basically. Mm -hmm. Uh, But yeah, here's here's the thing that I love. And I can't remember which one was the one that said it, but just watching this documentary and just seeing how they grew and developed and how they came together um, to feel like I had something extraordinarily in common with a member who talked about and Ray helped me. If because I'm not going to remember which one it was, but he was talking about how he was a geek in high school and was the one playing Dungeons and Dragons in high school. And Sean, I was like, I think Sean Hayes, gotta be Sean. Yeah, yeah, be and Sean. Because like, oh, yeah. a music kid playing Dungeons and Dragons, and they come together, they find this sound. You know, talking about driving down the street with his mother and, and harmonies and harmonizing. You know, like on the bus and. You know, and to talk about their background in Philadelphia and how that influenced their music as they melded it with the Motown sound was just like it's it's amazing. And to recognize what how big they were and then just how fast that rug got pulled out from underneath them when the advent of the white boy bands showed up. Was, <laughs> I was, call them it was not surprising, but it was ridiculous. I call them Sean Hayes. I think Sean Hayes was on um, Will and Grace. It's Sean Stockman. Yeah. <laughs> we know what you got meant, my, though. Yes, Sean, very well. Got my Sean's mixed up. I knew it was Sean. So, yeah, I mean, so anyway, yeah, just having the rug pulled out from underneath him like that. And really, I, I think one of the best points that you can pull away from this in terms of their influence and in, in just the influence of black music in general was the statement, and I can't remember which person who made it. It was like, if you if you want to know what music is going to be popular, follow along with what black artists are making. Can, because can that's what's going to be the next big thing. I want to just take a quick second to talk about that high school that all four of the yeah. guys went to. You don't realize that how many legends came out of that high school. Questlove and Black Thought from The Roots came from that high school. Leslie Odom Jr., if you, you may not know who he is, but he's um, the guy that um, played uh, Aaron Burr in Hamilton and played yep. Sam Cooke in the um, a, night in, a Night in Vegas. Jasmine Sullivan, for those of you who listen to newer R&B, came from that school. Like, it is a powerhouse. And if we're honest, I believe Boyz Men and The Roots went to high school at the same time. So just think of all that yeah. talent in Philly. That's crazy. Yeah, no, it's it's unbelievable, and really, I guess, yeah, I guess the other real direction that I wanted to take this, and anybody can jump in on just things that stood out for them in this doc, um, is their their resurgence. Like they kind of disappeared for a while, and then for them to come back the way that they are now, like they're playing locally. I just actually was looking them up to see what their concert is, and I, they're playing like twenty minutes away from me in the near future in Springfield, Mass, at, uh, I think at our casino. Um, so they still got it and they still, they're still making a, making a big wave. Well, let, let me jump in. So you, so you guys can go. I just, I want to say, you know, I'm 33. So when boys to men kind of hit their stride, I w- I knew of them clearly, but I didn't understand right. music the way I do now or business or how things worked. Right. Because I was a huge teen pop kid. I grew up in that era. Um, I didn't realize that their run was like three years. Yeah. It really, really, I never realized that till I watched watched this. 
And so I never, it never hit to me that the reason they stopped was because NSYNC and uh, Backstreet Boys and the Lloyd Perlman guys basically took over. It never crossed my mind. And so it's really crazy to see that they went from being the biggest band, no exaggeration, and I know you're a metal guy, Dave, but on earth, they were the biggest musical artist on earth to having to take a two-year break because nobody wanted to rock with them to then having to go do like residencies in Vegas just to make money. What? Well, part of that has to do with their age though. Right. And the age of their fan base. And that's why this comes back around the backside because once all these teenagers and whoever was rocking with them when they first came out, once they get settled in and they get into their thirties and forties, they got all the money in the world to go spend, to go do that again. Right. The same thing happened with uh, new kids on the block. They blew the F up. Right. But to your point, yeah, I mean, it was early 90s when they were first coming up. So it is 30 years. So it's very circular. It's very reciprocal, in my opinion. That's not the only factor, but that sure. is, does play a fraction of a part of what's happening. No, but like and like boys to men's, their trajectory, their quick rise and almost as quick descent, you know, it's uh, Pat, Pat knows it's really common in the music industry for every one band like Rush or the Stones or Kiss. There's 10 with the same trajectory as boys to men. Quick rise and just as quick, you know, fall. Um, So, yeah, I mean, for them to accomplish what they did in that short of a period of time is impressive. But, yeah, the early 90s were a very different time frame in music. You know, I I mean, you're you're a young guy, Ray. I'm not. So I remember the the early 90s real well and, and, and the different kind of segments that were going on like people like me getting into nirvana and the grunge Mm -hmm. movement was really big for people like me and then yeah you Mm -hmm. had you know more classically trained better singers like boys to men and then the advent of some of the other boy bands and that sort of thing but yeah it's um it was it was a cool documentary i mean i didn't and i liked it because i didn't know really much about them other than the few songs that i had heard that i recalled i knew they could sing but yeah, to the whole Motown Philly thing and, and the merging of those styles coming together, um, that was that was it was really cool to actually listen to that and and gain some insight and as to something I didn't know a whole lot about to begin with. And, well, and if I may, real quick, I'll give. I'm sorry. Just I want to make one more point, and I'll, I'll shut up. But I think no, we'd be won't. remiss. I promise I will. No, I won't. think we'd be remiss to not mention the racial aspect of boys to men in the sphere of the time period not that black artists couldn't succeed but and i mean it's still kind of relevant to this day that the way the music business is set up you're put in a if you're a great singer and you're black you're r&b if you're a great singer and you're white you're pop for the overwhelming majority of it so for them to cross over on their very first song right and then the way they explained it i never it never crossed my mind but you know I know things are better, much better now, but in 93, 94, you got a picture of one Ye Morris on your wall and then Justin Timberlake comes out. Well, which one you got to put if you're a white girl? And I'm, right. I'm not even trying to make any assumptions here about people, but that's just natural. It's not an so, assumption. Yeah, that's it, the truth. That's yeah, the truth, you know. Man. Yeah, well, so I it's think, just, I think it's important to know. Yeah, I think the other thing that I really, you can you can look at in terms of 
their their disappearance is because they were so in between, right? And they really were. And they, this point was made in the documentary where they talk about they really were kind of the last Motown like looking group where like they talked about how they were all uniformly dressed. And if you look at their stage performance, it was all like synchronized dancing and all that shit you used to see done by like the temptations and the Jackson five and all, all those other, those previous bands. And not only had the white audience moved away from them because of NSYNC backstreet 98 degrees, so on and so forth. Black music had evolved too. R and B had evolved in a way that they didn't really fit there either. So they completely lost like their audience almost overnight. And I, I gotta be honest, like it's, it's impressive that they brought themselves back together on any level because that's devastating. And, you know, I, they were, it, it's just fascinating because they literally didn't do anything wrong as a, as a group. Right. Like they didn't they didn't lay out a clunker. They didn't pull out like there, there was nobody who made the headlines for for, you know, I don't know. Getting in trouble or law. Yeah, or something. yeah, just yeah. any sort of, you know, drug problems, nothing like that. Like they just they they had everything kind of just pulled out from underneath them. And so I'm just happy to see that this documentary got gave them some love. Um, and I, I hope it's something that gets watched by people and allows them to rediscover and explore that music because between, um, Cooley High Harmony, which is, like I said, my favorite album by them. And by the way, one of the best Christmas albums you can find out there also, yep. if you find the yep. boys Christmas album, if you celebrate Christmas, give it a listen. Their, their version of silent night is gorgeous, uh, is, is very, very beautiful, but their talent was real. You know, next week we're going to be talking about auto tune. If I if I saw correctly, <laughs> there was no auto tune with them. There was no lip syncing with them. Like I love that they talked about the Millie Vanilli shit and, and the lip syncing. Like they were they what you heard was really them, and they nailed it every time. And it's just crazy the way the industry sort of chewed them up and spit them out. So I I was very I thumbs up on this first episode, regardless of whether you like the band or not. Thumbs up for me. Ray, I'm assuming it was a thumbs up for you as well. Two I up. see two thumbs up. Dave, you I do believe you indicated you liked it. I did. I won't give it two thumbs up, but definitely one, you know, just because of my wow. own musical taste. But it, it was no, nah, it was not that. It's just it, it's it was a good episode. I enjoyed today's episode. Dave hates boys to men. There you go. They're no they're no Pearl Jam, brother. No, they well. That's true. They aren't, but that may not be a bad thing, depending on your taste. That's fair. That's fair. Yeah. Hey, pop a couple marbles in their mouth. They might be. So there you go. <laughs> nice. That's funny. Tony, you enjoy the episode? That was a dig on Eddie better. Yeah, I did. I thought it was really well done. I'll give it a seven out of 10. Seven out of 10. Okay. Well, next week we will be moving on to episode number two, where we're going to be talking all about the auto tune and whether we love it, we hate it. And who's to blame for it? All can right. we still blame what? Trump? I'm just wondering. Can is he still fair game to blame shit on him? Just for anything? Why are we making Trump jokes? I blame Vince McMahon. The IWC blames everything. Tony Khan. Tony Khan's fault. Let's let's start you know, blaming it's, Tony it's, Khan for no, shit. Wrong. It's Tony's wrong. big brother, Nick. 
It's Nick Khan, not not Tony Khan. So, okay, well, we're going to take a quick commercial break and jump into some news around the Nerdosphere. Before we go to our recorded set, it is my duty to remind you to head over to ProWrestlingTees.com forward slash the chair shot and check out our selection of T-shirts available for you to purchase. We have everything from the OG chair shot logo to various sayings from the show like hashtag journalism, safe tag team wrestling, et cetera, et cetera, to shirts for the shows, including this one you're listening to right now. You can get a regular shirt feeling normal for $19.99 or if you want to feel fancy and feel soft on your giblets, spend a few dollars more and get it soft style. Very expensive to run a, a an internet radio empire. And so the best way that you can support us and help us keep this going is to invest in us and buy a shirt. Once again, that site is prowrestlingtees.com forward slash the chair shot. When we come back, It'll be time for some news around the Nerdosphere on Bandwagon Nerds, a part of the ChairShot Radio Network, part of the ChairShot.com. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, Place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager. Only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. This is your boy, Kenny Killer, telling you to make sure you check out thechairshot.com. Bringing you breaking news, interviews, podcasts galore, everything pro wrestling. Make sure you check it out, thechairshot.com. All right. Welcome back, everyone. Today, no visits to the trailer park. Not a lot of exciting trailers this week. The week before, San Diego Comic-Con and all that, like they all of the trailers, um, Although you didn't talk about Dexter and the Dexter trailer they dropped. So shame on you. Anyway, I'm I trailers, by the way, I watched Jungle, we watched Jungle Cruise last night. Oh, was it any good? Did you like it? Enjoyable. It's, I mean, it's, it's fun. Not it's, Silence of the Lambs, it's but it's fun. enjoyable. I'm not, I'm, not sp- I'm not spending $30 on it. I have no desire to see this movie. I bought it for my it's wife. Better than- I bought it for my wife too, Ray. Just so you know. Yeah, I bought it for my kid. I'd say this. It's better than the commercials lead on. It's much better than the commercials. Jungle Cruise. Oh man, I yeah, I, I Bam out of bio and and Jimmy Butler talked me out of it. <laughs> Bam, this is on you. Yeah, no, I'm I'm good. I think I'm good. Um, yeah. Anyway, so we're gonna talk about some news around the Nerdosphere with with that little awkward pause. And I took a risk. I'm gonna admit I took a risk with this group because. I don't know that we've really talked about Doctor Who on this show. And so the first topic I hit, and 
Tunny has got a big thumbs down. He has pulled the microwave microphone away from his he's deuced out because he does not watch the show. Clearly does not watch the show. It's a show that spans 60 years on television, and none of y'all have watched it. Ray, do you watch Doctor Who? The the closest interaction I have with Doctor Who is via Sheldon Cooper on the Big Bang Theory. I apologize. I watch everything, but the BBC has not become a regular part of my broadcast network schedule. I, I don't really apologize. I just said that because I love you, Patrick. But carry sorry, on. Sorry, got you. And to answer your Ray, question, Ray, Dave, am I barking up a am I barking up a tree here? Is this is this going to be a quickie? Uh, I think it's you flying solo, my friend. Oh God. I I don't watch the show, but my niece is obsessed with it, so she has unwitting unwillingly kind of indoctrinated Does me. Does your niece have Skype? Yeah. We get your my niece plumber's neighbor too. My plumber's neighbor has got a really, real interest your in this. Your plumber's show too. neighbor. Yeah, my, yeah, his niece. Oh, I, I like the who. Does that count for anything? Probably not. You guys all suck. What? <laughs> is it, you suck, jackass. Isn't isn't to to the relevance of the thing? Isn't Jodie Whittaker the first female Doctor Who? She is. Okay. Jodie Whittaker is the first female Doctor Who. So the the news broke this week. That Jodie Whittaker um, will be wrapping up her run, as will her showrunner, Chris Chibnall, uh, at the conclusion of 2022, I do believe is what the article said. Like, she is on her way out. And I guess really what I want to talk about is I do want to talk about just kind of Doctor Who and the show, which I recommend y'all give a chance with the newer stuff. Because... My experience with Doctor Who as a kid really came from PBS because PBS used to rerun episodes of Doctor Who from like the 60s and 70s and early 80s. And, you know, it was always one of these running things where like the quality of the, you know, the effects are less, the camera, like camera work, um, the type of cameras they use is just kind of strange to us. But when sci-fi started airing episodes with uh chris was it a clustison or something like that um ecclesia i can't remember i can't remember how to pronounce his name you would um you would recognize him as the most pointless villain in the history of thor movies as he was the uh, dark elf from from thor the dark he also had the unfortunate um, luck to play Destro in the uh, one of the G.I. Joe movies that came about that wasn't very good with Channing Tatum. But he played he played the doctor and the doctor is always one of the it's to me, it's awesome because it's it's messing with we talk about multiverses all the time. Doctor Who is all about multiverses. And, and like traveling to all these different worlds and this and these different experiences. And there's, you know, there he's always being hunted as he ki- kind of tries to maintain the order of things. And Jodie Whittaker being brought on as the first female doctor was a huge deal. We also haven't had a doctor of color, I don't believe, at any point. Like, we've never had anybody other than a white person be the doctor. So there's a lot of speculation that maybe that's where they're going to go next. Um, But I guess, for me, it's just, this is my shameless plug to to say, watch Doctor Who, um, give it a chance, you know, a lot of people really liked, um, was it Matt Jones? I think is his name. Uh, and when he, when he played, there were, it's just, 
big one was uh, Purple Man, David Tennant. I thought that was like the biggest David one. Tennant, David Tennant was also uh, had a very, very popular run. Uh, and it's just it's always a show that's pushing boundaries. It's always a show that's that's taking a look. It's very much like watching The Twilight Zone, except with a multiverse. And Jodie Whittaker was the first one to kind of. You know, I you know, outside of just being the first woman, like she she had a very short run, and it was it was a run that I don't know that it got the justice that it needed, and it's too bad that she's leaving. I don't think it's against her will by by any any stretch of the imagination, but they they will be you know they'll be heading out after after a run since around 2017. It doesn't even, it feels less time than that, but British television they also run shorter seasons, so. I mean, it's a show I've heard so much about. I just have never gotten a chance to watch it's, it. It's a show that, honestly, uh, on something like Bandwagon Nerds, I feel like we need to get somebody who's watched it um, to talk about this show. And so, like, and I don't know who there would be that would exist on this show. Tony, check with DP. See maybe, if he's watched maybe it. Maybe I think I would have heard about it more. What about Mags? I don't know. Maybe a British person. It's a British show. We know anybody. Well, here. Kenny. Yeah. Kenny Killer. Yeah, I'm actually, yeah, I'm actually efforting Kenny for the next uh, couple weeks here. So we'll we'll figure it out. Maybe we can do an all. Maybe you can do an all British version of the show, and it can just be Patrick, Kenny, and Mags one day. But then, how will Ray spend his Sunday? We'll Listen just be here, but we'll, we'll he'll, be he'll, be he'll be productive for once. He'll be productive for once. Oh, <laughs> all right. Well, let's. Since, It'll be football season this, by then. Since this whole topic was kind of a barking up the wrong tree attempt on my, th- I thought Dave, being nine thousand years old, may have watched a few episodes, but I stand. Bring it! Bring your hate. He's nine thousand years old. Nine thousand. I know. Let's. I am, let's, I am immortal, Tony, like Hulk Hogan. Methuselah? Is that you? More like Kang. That's kind of where I was going. All right. Speaking of the MCU, Ray shared this. I almost didn't share this topic because I don't trust the source. Because we got this cover. Yeah, exactly. It's never the strongest. It's it's the Wrestling Observer of, of pop culture news. But I did feel like it was worth worth a read because Gabriel Gabriel, Gabriel Luna reportedly may be returning to the MCU as a character he portrayed on Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., and that was Robbie Reyes, who was... Right? Rider. He did not come out to that tune. Oh, well. Like, like it was, Rider. Yeah, no, he, he came out to no music at all. Ghost Rider. Um... Where does Ghost Rider fit in the MCU? If we're gonna if we're gonna bring Robbie Reyes back, where does Ghost Rider fit in the MCU? Uh, Dave, see, see Ray, Ray. Now, now who's looking for an explanation? Huh? Right? Right? See no, how no. it's all full circle. I'm asking you, <laughs> I'm asking you to speculate as to uh, where he, where gosh. he would make sense to you all. If hey, you're gonna bring back Ghost Rider, Robbie Reyes, where does he show up? I Throw mean, a sidecar on there. What's that? Perfect for Throw a sidecar on there. It's perfect for a little duck. Jeez, <laughs> uh, man. Ghost Rider, Robbie Reyes, or even Johnny Blaze, for that matter. I don't... That's hard, man. Where do you... Where where would he fit in under what sort of... Um, 
Who's he been affiliated with in the past? Not the Avengers, right? He's never been an Avenger, but he's rocking some of them for sure. Yeah, yeah. I, I, um, you got to figure when Morbius is brought in that that might open the door. He, he maybe in Blade, I could see him definitely being involved with Blade in some form or fashion. Um, as far as like the shows that are coming out, certainly not Hawkeye. I wouldn't expect it to be anything related to Hawkeye or She Hulk or um, any of the other stuff we've heard of. Maybe. No, they're not doing a second season of WandaVision. So that's that's not it. Yeah, that's a tough one. I you know, I I'm I'm scratching my head trying to figure out where would you bring it's certainly not going to be a standalone movie. And we've seen how well those work with go, the Ghost Rider character, but Don't you dare besmirch the good name of Nicolas Cage, sir. I like the first one. The second one is absolutely a massive dumpster fire. I, but like the first one? Yeah, the first one is okay. Um That's a bold statement, Cotton. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't know. Where do you, uh, Ray, you got any, any theories on this? Where would you fit Ghost Rider into what show and how do you introduce him into it? I mean, maybe the multiverse of madness. Yeah. Boom. There you go. And I, and I'm glad you brought that up because, and I know there's the continuity may matter now that we have a multiverse, but before the continuity, that, since the timelines were separate agents of shield, the reason Roger Reyes got involved was because of the dark hold. Right. So it, if there was a place for him to show up, that would be the place. I mean, do we? Why is Blade popping up? We don't know. They can put him anywhere. Uh, but I just think it's interesting because a lot of rumors and rumors speculation—you know how that shit goes—are that some of the Agents of Shield people are gonna start coming back into the main continuity of the MCU. Um, Quake, I think, is almost guaranteed to be back in some form or fashion. Chloe Bennett, and then Robbie Reyes. But Ghost Rider is, I think, a really cool character to bring back and for Feige and for Marvel to do correctly. And I want to pick you guys' brain because Robbie Reyes, Gabriel Luna was a fantastic Robbie Reyes. And Robbie Reyes is, no no offense to Johnny Blaze, but it's intricately more interesting to me because of his backstory. But I know we can't get Nick Cage again, even though I know Patrick may want him. You heard about Norman Reedus as Johnny Blaze? I think that yeah. could work. I do too. I, 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 mean, I he vis- knows how to ride a motorcycle. That's for sure. He does. He does. Visually, Ghost Rider is probably the character that fans most want to see. In mm-hmm. the, I mean, because just the look, you know, the look, the mm-hmm. motorcycle, the flames, all that shit. Uh, yeah, I, I think Multiverse of Madness would would lend well to that because if you're going darker, Ghost Rider's in that darker, <laughs> darker echelon of Marvel. You know who else is in that darker echelon, right, Ray? Mephisto. There you go, baby. I was waiting for it. <laughs> we talking about demons. Did you already bring up one of the famous groups, Patrick, that he's been involved in, or no? No. Uh, the Midnight Suns. I mean, you're talking about Doctor Strange, you know, being there for that, and Morbius. Yeah, I mean, it's a possibility. Uh, here's the thing: is this is such a? I find that like I don't buy. I, I'm going to just say it, I don't buy this report. Like, I just don't. I don't buy it at all. I think that it's very much um, playing on the possibility. Like you talked about Chloe Bennett and coming back as Quake, and and that's had a little bit more spoke to it. I think that if you're going to introduce Ghost Rider, it it makes the most sense with Doctor Strange and in Multiverse of Madness, which would then allow for room for Midnight Suns. Um, Think about it. Just think about it. 
Right. Close your eyes. Well, hold on, hold on. Just do this exercise with me. We're way out of schedule this week. Come well, on. I mean, Close your eyes. He's... Take a deep breath. I want you to imagine. I want you to picture Ghost Rider coming in, all aflame. We're on the bike. We got we got Doctor Strange. He's he's through the sky. He's I don't know if he's he's air skiing or if he's on that magic carpet. Whatever he's doing. And then you got Morbius on his magical jet ski. Can you picture it? Oh, you Can mean you... Mobius? Mobius, yes. Sorry, that's what I meant to say. I kept saying Morbius. Mobius. My no, bad. I was like, it is Morbius. Morbius doesn't ride a jet ski. It, oh no, 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 no. You're right. No, Morbius is the living vampire. Got it. And it makes perfect sense for Blade to show up in a Morbius movie because Blade goes after vampires, anyone who resembles it. So it's a very easy introduction. Blade's trying to haunt Morbius and then realizes this is not the right kind of vampire. I mean, and Mobius on his jet ski, that's something special. I still want to see it. We have been teased the jet ski and never got it. Yeah. So, I, I mean, if that's how we get it and we earn it that way, okay. Yeah, that I was trying to be funny. It's more, it's Morbius, not Mobius, but Mobius on the jet ski. Yes, I'm here for it. Yeah, I but, mean, Midnight Suns has got enough people who are in the MCU or on the way that theoretically you could do that. I mean, I'd, I'd be down. You got Moon Knight. There's, uh, we know that's coming, but and we know that's happening. I would yeah. be down. I mean, if we get Elsa Bloodstone out of this whole thing, it's like, yeah, count me in, man. Oh, Speaking of that, have you heard the? Have you heard? I know this is just conjecture between fans, but have you heard the number one people's fans seem to want to play Elsa if she does get in the MCU? Who's that? Becky Lynch. Oh God, Ooh. yeah, she'd be perfect. Becky. I Lynch. didn't hear you. Right. Becky Say Lynch. Becky Lynch is Elsa Bloodstone. That is a perfect fit. Is there any way we can? So that's what wrestling fans want. Okay. Can we? Can we bring Star Wars into the MCU? Can we have Jedi Sasha against, you know... <laughs> well, see, could you, uh, well, see, get Hubert Carana on... Could you have called SmackDown on Friday, Return of the Jedi? Could you Could you have done that? Anyway. As long as you didn't call it Rise of Skywalker, we're fine. <sighs> okay, so I guess more to come on that. I don't see it happening. I'm looking forward to seeing what Sam Raimi lets us see in, in, when filming starts, what he's going to let Benedict out. Because if we were going to get a clue as to where Ghost Rider would show up, that would be my guess as to where where it would turn out. The next story on here, I picked just for one Ray Cash. Because he's already got one movie to watch. And I'm about to make him get a second one. Because it's looking like, first of all, Taika Waititi, the busiest man in Hollywood next to James Gunn, uh, wrote a script for a, a movie based on an old comic strip slash movie serial series, uh, series slash classic 1980 space adventure film, Flash Gordon, that was going to be an animated film. That now sounds like it might go live action. Ray, with Taika Waititi making a Flash Gordon movie bring you to the theaters to watch a Flash Gordon movie? No. You are the I'm worst. <laughs> I'm, <laughs> I'm joking. Anything Taika does, I'm interested. So I'm going to watch the old one. I'm just waiting for the right time. Yeah. So the right time is when Taika makes the new one, then I can come on the show and watch the old one, then the new one, and we can talk about it on Bandwagon Nerd. See, it's just a long game to try to build up the viewers, brother, brother. That's all it is. 
we have a pretty solid audience that just wants to hear your opinion on Flash Gordon. I don't think that they they need suspense. Uh, but I don't know. I was raised on Vince McMahon. He told me to keep the people waiting. Right. They don't need to wait on this. It's Flash Gordon. Dave, your thoughts on Taika Waititi writing and scripting a Flash Gordon movie? Yes. Emphatically, yeah. in the words of Corey Graves, yes, yes, a thousand times yes. Let's <laughs> let's do it. I mean, I, you know, ideally we can't. I don't think we can get Sam Jones back. But uh, I, you know, you look at think about movies that have been rebooted over the past what forty years, thirty, forty years. Ones that are probably really due for a reboot. As much as you and I love Flash Gordon, and we do, and we both gave it perfect scores. I, you know, if, if you put that property in the hands of the right person, somebody like a Taika Waititi, somebody like a James Gunn, somebody like that, who we know is going to respect. And it is like, I guess Taika's in our circle of friends, Patrick, because he thinks it's one of his favorite movies of all time as well. So Flash Gordon. Yeah, exactly. So wasn't messing around. So, yeah, I mean, if you're going to give it to somebody like him with his talent, with his vision, and his attention to detail and somebody who's going to respect the legacy of the original, why wouldn't you want to see it remade? I, I'm not, I'm not, the, I don't know how you feel. I'm not the least bit nervous about that remake. There's lots of them I'm nervous about. Oh God. That no. one, I'm not, not the least bit nervous about him doing it. Tony, your thoughts on, I know you're a big Flash Gordon fan too, right there with Ray. Um, I, I heard you watch it every night before you go to bed, but Taika Waititi, Putting together, we'll just say Taika Waititi's working on another movie. He in? Uh, as long as it's not Flash Gordon, but unfortunately, <laughs> oh, <laughs> you suck. Oh, <laughs> another Flash Gordon movie. I really don't. Can he put his powers to better use? He could. If we what? voted on it, all of this. Oh come on! I got enough Flash. Flash oh god. Okay. So, well, well, by the way, real quick, shout out, shout out to Ming and the Tongue and Death Grip. Peer pressured into this fucking shit. I'm, I just got you between Doctor Who and Flash Gordon. You guys are terrible today. I don't, I don't got nothing for it. Ray, mental. On a side note, uh, for I, shocker to all of you, but my favorite band of all time is this little group out of Britain known as Queen. Uh, and this oh. is the 50th. I know, right? 50th anniversary of the band and their YouTube channel every. Friday or every weekendish, they are putting out a mini documentary over the course of the entire year celebrating 50 years of Queen. They did the soundtrack to Flash Gordon to the original to the well, 1980s. That's all you had to say. I'd have watched it three years ago. And regardless of whether you see the movie or not, you wise ass. Um, some really great rock music. Like, you know, when I think of like headbanger, Dave, there's some good shit in there that like just speaks Dave's language that, uh, I, I would strongly recommend, uh, in addition to checking out the movie, which I know you will flash, uh, check out the flash the soundtrack. soundtrack. Oh God. Yes. Yes. But I'm not talking about the flash chord song, like the one that people always goofily sing. <laughs> like there is, I can't remember what the name of the song is, but they open their concerts with Brian May doing this like guitar riff so from one of the soundtrack pieces that's like the battle music that they use during the movie it's freaking like all of the music was done by queen it's awesome so all right that's enough flash gordon talk for today our last story let's get into the pandemic as dave you just you just recently uh 
vacated what could be a potential ground zero for another outbreak of COVID-19. However, Disney Parks has announced that they are mandating their employees all get vaccinated if they want to continue to work in a Disney park in the United States. So, good move? Yes. I think at least in most of our opinions. What does this mean? Will this be a trend center? And and Dave, I just kind of, you didn't really talk about this because you talked about the Avengers Park experience, but how were the park staff and, and Disneyland in general, how was it approaching the way their employees were in sort of mitigating COVID-19 and spread? I'd say the vast majority of the employees were wearing masks. Um, a surprising number of guests were wearing masks. In retrospect, I'm thinking, you know, now, now knowing what we know now, a, a couple weeks later, you know, everybody should have been wearing masks at this damn thing. But I, I think, you know, yeah, Disney was uh, taking a very hands-on approach. They were taking a very proactive approach. Uh, it, it's a good move, you know, to do this. My concern right now is the legal legality of what they're doing right now, because, yeah, until you get that FDA full approval, um, there's a and I noticed in the article, they specifically said non-unionized employees. This was required for non-unionized employees. So the union, they the Disney's smart enough to know that with the unions, they've got a different sort of uh, a fight on their hands because the unions can push back quite a bit. So, yeah, from a legal standpoint, and I've heard this, it's not just Disney, it's all industries. A lot of them are doing this as to whether legally they can require their employees to be vaccinated. I think you're going to see you're going to see lawsuits coming out of the NFL with this exact same thing. The NFL PA is probably going to fire back on some of this. It's the right thing to do. Sure. But again, you know, you you're really impinging on on some freedoms of people who say and, you know, we're all I think we're all pro vaccine, but that's not the point. You know, people have a right to choose. And if they don't want to put this stuff in them because they're unsure about something, that's their right. So to me, yeah, it's the right thing to do. I think Disney was taking a very hands on approach with the uh, with the whole thing. When I was there, most of the people, I, most of the staff was masked. Um uh, I'd say at least half of the guests were, but yeah, it's, it's, it's a good policy. It's just like, yeah, I, I don't know. Yeah. As we're going to talk in the second half, Disney has some legal issues to deal with. This may be asking for another fight. Tony, what were your thoughts on this, this sort of report? And you've, you just recently were kind of doing like a birthday tour of like all kinds of different stuff or something like that. If I recall, like in, in a lot of the venues and places that you're going, are you seeing anything similar Maybe not just the vac- like the vaccine part. We don't know, but some of these other things that Dave's talking about. No, I was up. I was out of town for for a golfing trip, and the part of the part of the state that I went to has been very much more relaxed than the more populated parts of the state. I should say over this entire pandemic. But I also do a lot. Know a lot of people in the service industry, i.e., waiters, waitresses, bartenders, things of that nature, and they are worried about. <clears throat> The fact that things are going to go back to you're going to have to wear a mask as far as customers go. And they're worried about it. They understand the effects and, and the, the, you know, trying to make things safe. But at the same time, that means their revenues likely people are less likely to go out and do these things again. So that I mean, I just looking at it from that point. But if it's going to keep people safe, I mean, private entities obviously can do what they want. The government's basically telling people they need to get vaccinated as well. So, I mean, you look at private, you look at, 
you know, governmental, you look at, look at the coach from in the NFL that pretty much got let go because of that. So if it means keeping the world safer, it's just, you got to suck it up and, and take care of business, I suppose. Right. Yeah. Both of you guys make great points. It's spot on. Um, you know, I don't think it, it doesn't really matter necessarily what you think or don't think about the vaccine or you believe it or you don't that when it's mandated by your job to get it, you have a decision to make, right? It's interesting. I didn't think about that wrinkle Dave mentioned about the unionized and non-unionized because union ain't going to go down with that shit. Just bing, bang, boom. You got to do this. It's going to be a fight. Um, but the legality of it is really interesting to me because there's questions about can the government force us, just the government force us to get vaccines and whatnot. So I'm curious to see the legality of the situation and how this plays out. But Disney is one of the biggest employers in the country. And so I'm sure this is going to be a landmark situation that if they can do this from a legal standpoint. Um, and then, you know, Disney... Disney's almost WWS that everybody that works for Disney isn't an employee. They have independent contractors as well. I wonder do the people who are dressed as Spider-Man and uh, Lil Bo Peep or whoever working at Disney World, they got to get vaccinated. Do the people who work in the movie studio, you know, Scarlett Johansson we're going to talk about here in a minute, or Chris Evans, do they got to get vaccinated? Like, I'm curious to see what the scope of this is. I'm all for it. I just... I don't want to begrudge anybody who has any questions about the situation for not having questions. I don't, I have a problem with that, but ultimately we are going to have to do something to stop this clearly sitting on our hands and hoping that this shit goes away is not working. So either be prepared to wear a mask all your damn life or be comfortable getting a vaccine like we did for smallpox, like we did for uh, polio, like we did for measles, like we've done for everything something's gonna have to we're gonna do something so pick and choose what you want but let me know so i can prepare myself and my family because you know if disney's gonna make this decision and it goes through then everybody else is gonna follow suit that's just how the world works amazon google such and such and such and such and such says down to our small companies it's gonna happen so just let me know what we're gonna do what i um what i find really interesting is that Disney is doing this for a purely financial reason when you really look at it. Because what they are trying to do, and this is what I think is fascinating, is people get angry about, I don't want the economy to close down again, or I don't want to do that. Like, they're going to shut down the economy, and this is ridiculous. The science and the information that we have available shows that these things that have been brought into our world help whether it's wearing masks whether it's you you know getting vaccinated they don't 100% help like there's no like there's no such thing as 100% so if you're living in a world where it's got to totally be eradicated like doesn't work that way at this stage in the science particularly with the vaccines we got rid of polio because of vaccines by the way you know we've minimized things like smallpox because of vaccines this could be the next thing that we mitigate and get rid of by virtue of vaccination. And Disney is doing this so that they don't have to close their fucking park again. Because as Dave has talked about on this show, Disney lost a lot of revenue 
that gets produced by their parks. Florida, you know, we're talking about California. Florida is one of the worst states right now. With, with, that, has been. with people getting sick. Yeah, I mean, it just it, it's it's back up. And, you know, when you look at the hot spots across the country, outside of what happened in Provincetown, Massachusetts, which horrifying, by the way, these are places where the 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 rhetoric by our own leadership has been pushing against what science shows us. And, you know, I think that it's I get what people say when they talk about that this is a human being's decision to do X, Y, and Z. And that human being who's talking about, like, I want my freedom to do this, this, and this. Okay, by not doing this, this, and this, you're keeping yourself from getting the shit you want to do because you don't feel comfortable wearing a mask. Because you're willing to buy into the, like, nonsense about these vaccines. Like, 98% of the stuff that people have talked about in regards to side effects with the vaccines, um, ill effects, have been disproven. And yet, our politicians and our media continue to perpetuate these narratives. And so... You know, when I got friends who work in the restaurant industry, the industry that are like, oh, we're going to get closed down again or people aren't going to want to come out. And it sucks because people fighting these measures are actually hurting industry's ability to, to stay open and to reopen. And it's it's I, I worry for Florida. Like I, I and I also I also worry for the mentality that says everybody else getting sick is worth me being okay walking around doing whatever I want. That's just a weird concept to me. And like, and and to be frank, I judge people for that. Right. Like that you're so selfish about yourself that you can't see a greater good by participating. Right. And this is where if Biden has done anything wrong in this whole thing is they haven't really educated people as to what vaccines are. And I think, you know, people think, if I get the vaccine, that means like, to it. you know, there's, there's an anti-vaccine sure. rhetoric that's existed there, since there Clinton. Is. There is. But I mean, people are like, oh, if I get the vaccine, that means I can't catch it. It's like, no, that's not what it means at all. It means that you won't get really sick from it. As we've seen from Delta, vaccinated people can pass this on just as easily as non-vaccinated people. But the difference is if everybody's, you know, got the vaccine, you're not going to be going to the hospital. You stay at home for a couple of days, you feel like shit, and then you go back to your life like anything else. And, and and there's a plethora of people who don't get that. And, and there's a lot of people who think, well, I don't want to take the vaccine because I'm worried about the long-term side effects. That's medicine. That is anything in medicine right. is that way. The stuff that the stuff you, you be quiet. The stuff that I take uh you know for my own we all you know for anybody who's got a disease, you take medicine no one knows for sure what the long-term side effects of any of this stuff are, but you take it in the short term because it helps you. And yeah, there's, there's a risk inherent in any sort of medicine. So I've never understood that, but yeah, I mean, unless like Ray saying, unless we do something, we're going right back to where, where we were in March, you know, I mean, right, right back to that same place and no one wants to go there. Right. I, I mean, for what it's worth Fauci today, or maybe it was yesterday, I don't know, said that he doesn't see lockdowns coming back. Um, but even then, the inherent mistrust that we've created around there, I just, 
I think that it's interesting that we're very counterintuitive to ourselves because as a people, we are very selfish people. Anyway, I'm going to close the book on that one because we're going to get into another heavy legal conversation uh, after the next commercial break. Uh, when we come back, we are going to talk all about Scarlett Johansson taking on Disney for some money, some money she feels she's earned. And Dave, Ray, Tony, and I have thoughts. You're going to get them all when we come back. You're listening to Bandwagon Nerds on the ChairShot Radio Network, a part of thechairshot.com. Thechairshot.com. Always use your head. Promotional consideration paid for by the following. Hey, folks. PC Tony here. Thanks to our new partnership with Angry Lemonade, you can save 10% on physical products and digital commissions using the promo code CHAIRSHOT. Head to angrylemonade.net to check out their amazing catalog of products and services. Use the promo code CHAIRSHOT to save 10%. That's angrylemonade.net. Are you looking for the newest and hottest in the world of pro wrestling? Then check out the amazing action on powerslam.tv, the biggest indie pro wrestling channel in the world. Get over 6,000 hours of the best events from over 150 of your favorite promotions from 20 different countries around the globe. Brands like Progress Wrestling, Evolve Wrestling, Combat Zone, Defy, PCW Ultra, PWX, Over the Top, Shine, and hundreds of others with fresh content added every day for only $5.99 per month. Get your free trial today at powerslam.tv. Go to powerslam.tv, promo code chairshot. Get your free month. Again, that's powerslam.tv, promo code chairshot. Thechairshot.com. Always use your head. Now, usually when we're playing that music, we are getting excited to talk about an MCU television show streaming on Disney+. Plus. We're talking about a movie. We're getting hyped. But today, we are playing this tune for a different reason. As news broke this week, a bombshell broke this week, that Scarlett Johansson is suing Disney over money she feels she has earned from Black Widow. Now, the the basic crux of this lawsuit is that because Disney decided to release Black Widow on Disney Plus as part of its Premier Access program, this breached Scarlett Johansson's contract that she had with Marvel um, in the in the understanding and the agreement that this would have an exclusive theatrical debut the scarlet's lawyers argue that this cost her somewhere in the neighborhood of around 50 million dollars um with the move and disney you know even talked about it making 60 million dollars in initial screen uh streams from the 30 dollar buy-in from disney plus it just it's it's fascinating and here's the other thing that i thought was interesting johansson alleges that because this was something that came up, this is important. 
Johansson alleges that the company wouldn't renegotiate her deal after the student de- uh, the studio decided to move Black Widow to the simultaneous release to Disney Plus. Disney, of course, fired back with, in my opinion, one of the most egregious statements I've heard in a long time. Just he, talk about vilifying somebody. Disney has fully complied with Ms. Johansson's contract. The statement continues. And furthermore, the release of Black Widow on Disney Plus with Premier Access has significantly enhanced her ability to earn additional compensation on top of the $20 million she'd received to date. They also said that the suit had no merit whatsoever and that its allegations are, quote, sad and distressing in its callous disregard for the horrific and prolonged global effects of the COVID-19 pandemic. Now, Scarlet's people weren't going to let that lie. They, of course, responded on Friday as I stay on top of this timeline. They were saying simply that I want to address that. Sorry. They shamelessly and falsely accused Miss Johansson of being insensitive to the global, uh, the global COVID-19 pandemic in an attempt to make her appear to be someone I know she isn't. Scarlett has been Disney's partner on nine movies, which has earned Disney and its shareholders billions. The company included her salary in their press statement in an attempt to weaponize her success as an artist and businesswoman, as if that were something she should be ashamed of. And it goes on. It's a much larger statement than that. This lawsuit also prompted others to file some lawsuits, including one Gerard Butler, who's actually suing uh, Paramount over Olympus has fallen, uh, for a, a similar but different, and the Gerard Butler case is similar but different. And, and Gerard Butler's people, and I'm sorry, he's not suing Paramount. He's suing New Image slash Millennium Films because they are claiming that the producer understated the domestic and foreign receipts by tens of millions of dollars, thus preventing him from money that, again, he earned. Finally, it also broke on, I think, Thursday or Friday that Emma Stone is weighing her options as to what she needs to do or should do in regards to her earnings from Cruella, which also simultaneously released on Disney Premier Access. I'm already curious as to whether The Rock and Emily Blunt go for this, but there's... Yeah, what uh, Dave? We'll start with you as the lawyer, because this is I. I will start. I will just say this is an important lawsuit. This lawsuit needed to happen, and I will explain why afterwards. But Dave, as the lawyer, your reaction to Scarlett Johansson's lawsuit? Well, based on everything I've read and looked at right now, I think Disney has some significant explaining to do. They have some significant problems with this lawsuit because it looks to me that they unilaterally <laughs> modified the terms of the contract. And anybody who knows anything about contracts, they're all based on on a meeting of the minds, you know. And, and if you're modifying the terms of the contract, that can't be unilateral, which means one sided. And to me, it looks like Scarlett Johansson had a contract that, yes, she entered into prior to the whole pandemic coming in. For Black Widow, which had certain milestones, certain, you know, in in sports parlance, you know, signing bonuses, so to speak, performance bonuses, incentive bonuses. 
and they were all based on the theatrical release. And then Disney went and modified that to do a simultaneous release on Disney Premier Plus and the movies. And she's like, wait a second, you're doing that screwed me out of a bunch of money. Now, I said it when it first broke that I, I still I still maintain it's a little speculative on the part of her team to quantify here's how much I would have lost because, okay, well, what metrics are you basing that on? But that's almost a non-factor, at least at this stage of the lawsuit. Now, when she gets to the point of proving up damages, then it gets interesting. But from this standpoint, to me, it looks like Disney went and they modified her contract. She tried to renegotiate. They didn't go for it. And I think it's important to draw a comparison here. The situation, you draw the comparison from this as composed or compared to what HBO Max went through with Patty Jenkins and Gal Gadot. And they had to enter into some significant negotiations with them to get them to agree to do what Warner did, which is releasing it solely on their HBO Max platform. And it costs them, what, an extra $10 million per or something like that to get... but. Right. They did the right thing. They went to them first. They recognized we're on breach of contract. If we do this, we need to work this out with you ahead of time. Disney did not do this. If you're believing what Scarlett Johansson's camp is saying, they did not do this. She tried to renegotiate that. They didn't do it. Disney's response that she's had a callous disregard for COVID-19 and the global pandemic is asinine as fuck. That's my professional legal terminology for that statement because it's just like, wait a second. How is it insensitive of her because she's saying this is our agreement. You guys breached it and it's insensitive of her because you guys made a pandemic related alteration to her detriment to your benefit. And yet it's insensitive of her towards the pandemic. My thoughts right now and, and, you know, just based on the filings and the little bit we've heard, Disney's got some problems. Now, none of us have seen the contract for sure. No one, none of us. And I think that's important to get out right now as a disclaimer for all this stuff. Neither myself, Patrick O'Dowd, Ray Cash, PC Tiny. We have not seen the contract that exists between Scarlett Johansson and Disney. So we don't know all the terms that it says. If there's something in there in the fine print that gave Disney an out that she signed that her lawyers didn't catch. We don't know that. But just based on what we're seeing and what we've been told. Yeah, it looks like Disney has induced a breach of contract the way that they approached this thing, and they didn't modify the contract with her to accommodate for this big change in circumstances that took place. And yeah, that's that's a big problem. There you go. I, Tony, I think, Tony I, your reactions. Yeah, go ahead, PC. Uh, see, I was ready to move on. Dave, go ahead, Dave. Finish it up if no, you got I, one I was just saying that the Gerard Butler case, I think... Uh, is actually very different because that to me, when I read through it, looks like a standard accounting. They're saying, Hey, I've asked you for an accounting three times. You haven't given it to me. Right. I'm suing right, you right. for that. Um, it's not so much based on streaming services as it is uh, just a, he's like, I want somebody to be accountable for this shit and nobody is answering me yet. So now I'm going to sue you. It's a, it's what they call a common count in contract terminology and legal stuff. It's, it's a cause of action that they ask. They part of a breach of contracts is I'm demanding an accounting you're not giving it to me, so I'm demanding it formally. But it, yeah, I mean, it's the same general overwhelming or overall consensus that these actors are getting screwed out of this stuff. Yeah, I man, I, I really hate seeing millionaires getting screwed over by billionaires. It breaks my fucking heart. Um, yeah, I mean, thanks for showing up to work, Aaron Rodgers. But it's like... Uh -huh. 
it's like you know at some point that you can't you can't completely bite the hand that feeds you so at some point we're going to enter into an agreement over an arbiter's assessment and you're going to get part of what you're owed but yeah it's it to me i i think the first thing i said is really what comes to mind mostly but right is right and 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 that's kind of where we're headed so i i don't know i would kind of say listen to take take what i said with a grain of salt and and really take what dave said into knowing what kind of legal battle is ahead of us and having said that yeah. fucking a I, I will say to, to one thing that tony said I would be shocked if this ever sees a courtroom. I really would be right. shocked if this ever sees a courtroom. They're going to settle it, this thing it, somehow, some way. Yeah. Uh, like a settlement be- just between the two parties? Or do you, how likely do you think arbitration is? It depends on whether she's got, whether they've got a mandatory, mandatory arbitration clause in the contract. A lot of the contracts do. Um, I doubt that theirs does because of the amount of money that's involved. And you get something like this in front of a jury, especially in Los Angeles. Big money is involved, but she may they may have a mandatory arbitration clause in the contract that says you got to go to binding arbitration. Um, I don't know. It's probably something that'll get mediated. I, my guess would be they'll go to a mediator, which is more somebody trying to you know play the middle of the field and reach an agreement. But hearing both sides and tell them here's the strengths of your case and the weaknesses, and here's yours, and they fashion out an agreement. I think that's what's going to happen. What if uh, what if we throw a few miles at you? You know, how about that? <laughs> throw a few miles, Ray. Your reaction to Scarlett Johansson versus Disney? Well, first, I think it's important to note that for these major stars, like these quote unquote A list stars, it is fairly standard in their contracts. Uh, from the understanding that we've been made to know that they'll get a cut of what the movie does in theaters off the back end as kind of the primer for them to do the movie. They'll get paid. It's again, I'm sorry to keep making the comparison from what we're talking about to wrestling, but it's akin to a, you getting paid your downside and then you getting paid a bonus off of what the house does. Right. Yeah. For all of you's hanging out at the deli, having a cannoli right now, it's like getting points. Okay. Boom. I, that's yeah. I don't, I can't do that accent. Um, but so that's, Neither that's so sort of important. <laughs> I didn't want to be the one to say it. But it's important oh, to note that <laughs> because this isn't just Scarlet and there's a one-time thing and kind of a a special thing Scarlet signed. It's pretty standard in most of the contracts for people of her level, of her ilk. So that's number one. Secondly, it's important to note that I don't know if this will play any part in the legality of it, but Disney sat on this movie for a year and a half, right? With the understanding and the hope and the kind of the the single-minded fervor of we're not going to release this unless it's in a theater. And then last minute, flipped. So that, I think, is, if nothing else, interesting for the conversation, right? Because had they stuck to their guns, we wouldn't be having any of this conversation. Because it was their fervor that said, we're not going to do it. Thirdly, um, Dave broke it down fantastically he's he's a lawyer i can't dispute anything he said i just think it's important to note that you know when you think about this contract and the money that they make that scarlet did that from what they're saying 
Scarlett did say she wasn't just so give me my money, bing, bang, boom, that's it. It wasn't Rihanna, bitch, better have my money. She was willing to renegotiate for the streaming situation. So not only do you have a broken promise by Disney, you have not only do you have a broken contract by Disney, but you have the person who signed the contract willing to negotiate for the greater good of the situation, and they refuse to do that. I don't see how Disney gets out of this, bro. And the more interesting thing to me is the precedent sets because Emma Stone in the same boat, right? Like, and then all these people who did this, The Rock came out today apparently and said that he he's fine with what he got because I'm sure The Rock got a fuckload of money. He's also the production company, but Emily Blunt may feel differently, right? There's so many of these situations that this could set a precedent. And but, Disney in trouble, in my opinion. Well, look at the other Disney I, movies that are the other Shang Chi's not coming out the same way. That's going to be what move theater exclusive, right? They're not releasing well, that. There's no premier access for that, or Spider Man, well, or Eternals. Whole, yeah, well, that Disney try, Disney because the the outlook of the world looked a little better. They this Jungle Cruise that came out this weekend was supposed to be the very last movie they did premier access that wasn't already previously uh, announced for the purposes of the pandemic i don't know if that'll change i don't know if it won't but you're right they've, they've released quite a few of these movies premiere access not just uh pixar movies but like live action movies well, so i'm just really curious how it's going step play. further just to take that a step further soul you didn't have to pay for soul they just released in december that's a great point that's a great so, point. Um, what was the other one? There was two. There was two that they just released. Like um, Luca. The one that just Luca. Luca. That's what it was. And was it Rawa, the other one? Raya, you had to pay Raya. for. Raya was Premier Access. Cruella was Premier Access. Mulan was Premier Access. So is Friday the last hurrah for a, a free blockbuster movie? On Disney Plus, perhaps. No, no. I mean, overall. Because, like, Friday, no, because... we got a spot on HBO Max. Uh, August no. August sixth, Suicide Squad is is hitting HBO Max. No, I'm Every, saying, is that the last hurrah no. for a free blockbuster movie? No. Is there any more no. free ones? Every, what else? Every is movie, free? every movie on HBO Max to the end of the year is going to be the same day. It's okay. different. It, it changes after the Paramount. end of the year. Okay. And Paramount Plus, any Paramount movie is 45 days after it releases on t- on. But even that's not theaters. entirely accurate because Infinite was released right away and pissed off Mark Wahlberg. And I'm surprised that hasn't really come up as news here. Here's the thing is if this is a, if this is a model that production companies and streaming services want to keep, and because I think it's a good idea. And this is why I argue that this is necessary. If you want to keep this model in place, you have to have this lawsuit because this lawsuit is going to set the precedence that you're talking the precedent that you're talking about it's going to actually create a structure and a framework for something that a year and a half ago the production companies just like we're going to do it we've got it let's just put it out and and didn't really like i and, and here's the thing is back when they did that the goodwill is all there from the, the popular opinion people are like oh that's great if you're an actor or a you know an animator if you want to talk about Raya, like these people who worked on the movie that, you know, get points or whatever for for based on the theatrical release, they don't want to look like assholes in the middle of a pandemic. The thing that's unique about this and Cruella, you know, it's kind of straddling 
Black Widow, by the time it came out, you could go to a theater and see it. Period. Like, I don't know that there was any place where you couldn't go to the theater and see it. So Disney did it. And then restrictions got like lifted left and right. And I'm not saying they could couldn't see the the future, but my it's just it, if they want this model to exist, and like I said, I think it's a good model. They have to they have to hammer out what that's really gonna mean in developing contracts. And in my opinion, Disney fucked up by not renegotiating. That's a bad faith move on their yep. part. That's for somebody they've had such a working relationship with. Yeah, that's that's, that's really disrespectful. It's blown up. Right. The bridge has blown up because this got nasty fast. And if that, you, and go ahead, Tony. Do you, do you think they're going to make it harder for you? Like, I mean, uh, let's say they keep the the model that gives you both options. Do you think they're going to make it harder though for you, more expensive, I should say, to watch it at home instead of they want you to go to the movie theater? Do you no. think there's going to be more incentives to go to the movie theater, or no. you think maybe they'll go the other way, Dave? Because we, Dave, you and I have talked about this specifically on this show. Right. What if instead of it's basically thirty dollars, right? If you don't want to go to the movie theater and you want to watch it on your streaming because it's the golden age of streaming, and you're okay with either your laptop or you got a great home system that you can watch on you're comfortable with it's 30 bucks I think if they want it if they want to incentivize that side yeah make it 50 make it make it 50 and give you the digital copy with it see i don't i don't think they'll pass that on to the consumer i think that this is an issue between the studios and the and the uh talent the actors involved more so it than us. they do they do they do and and you know the funny thing i started to think about is it had this you know, in the heart of the pandemic, like when Ray was clamoring, release the fucking thing already. Had they released this to streaming before access to theaters was was, you know, what it was when it came out. It makes me wonder if we'd be having this conversation or whether this lawsuit would even exist, because at that point, you know, you've almost got a modification of the contract due to just the world around you where we have mm-hmm. to modify this due to the circumstances scarlet we can't release this in the movies but hey we're going to do it this way i think the conversation would have been different between them uh than what we're having now which is uh, you know you guys have seen goodfellas we've all seen goodfellas right this lawsuit to me is the fuck you pay me lawsuit because that's basically what she's saying oh you want to release this on streaming instead of the movies? Fuck you, pay me. Oh, you got a bunch of new subscriptions from Disney Plus because you fuck you, pay me. You know, that's kind of what this feels like. And she's not wrong. You know, she's not wrong about this. But yeah, I think like like Patrick saying, this lawsuit had to happen because you've created an entirely new business model that these present contracts aren't aren't accounting for yet. And you've got to say, we've got an entirely different revenue stream that Again, I go back to what I said earlier. Once you get by the liability stage where they say, yes, Disney, you breached the contract. Then you get to the next phase, which is like, and now you've got to prove up damages. That's where Scarlet's going to have a little bit more difficulty on that end to prove exactly how much did you lose from Disney's decision to do this? And how are you going to quantify that? And I know, Ray, you and I, I talked about that in the, when we first started talking about it. I think that's that's where things start to flip more towards Disney's side because they can say all this shit's speculative. You know, you don't know any of this stuff. That's why this goes to an arbitrator though. That's why this goes to, like you said, they're going to settle out of court. They're going to find a number in the middle and that's where we're going to land. Nobody, nobody enters any negotiation with the price they think they're either going to get 
or the price that they're asking for. Oh, no. Like you just she's, don't. You she's going to say, yeah, she's going to say, I would have made a hundred exactly. million. Disney's going to say you would have made 20 and they say, okay, exactly. well, I'll take the 20. 60 million. There you go. <laughs> she's not going to take 20. And to Tony's question, Disney, the, speaking of incentivization, they have the incentive for you to watch at home because every right. dollar of that goes to them. They have to split revenue with the movie studios in the theaters. Now, you can rewatch, and that's why they make billions of dollars because people go and rewatch and they have the masses. Everybody doesn't have Disney Plus, but every dollar goes to them domestically, not speaking worldwide, but domestically, the numbers were practically the same first week for Black Widow on in the theaters and at home. So, like, there's an incentive for them to want to keep it at home with the Premier Access. So your your idea about the $50 and keeping a digital copy is pretty interesting because essentially you have the digital copy if you keep the Disney Plus, but there is something to that that may incentivize other people. I don't know. So couple couple of last thoughts on this before before we wrap it up one part of this lawsuit and this story is a court of public opinion who's winning because in my opinion it's not disney oh absolutely not it's it's all it's scarlet running away with this thing in the court of public everybody have you talked to anybody yet who's on disney's side i i because i have not disney disney should have never released that statement trying to to use COVID 19 and make it sound like she was a, a heartless money grubber for these poor sick people. Um, particularly when you look at that in the shadow of you reopening your your park and now requiring your people to be vaccinated so that you can stay open and make money in the middle of a pandemic. Come, sick people, to our park. The oh, other thing that I wanted this to bitch point is such, out... She's not black or a widow, huh? Right. That's messed up, dude. Uh fucking mickey mouse on a warpath bro what do you want from me i i i got you here's the other thing um that i wanted to get back to um tony uh was a point that you kind of made when i asked for your initial reaction you were talking about you know millionaires fighting for mo- um, money from billionaires and, and all of that that is absolutely correct but where this lawsuit and i hate to bring this name up because he's gonna crow about it if he listens to the episode where christopher platt was a little right is the content creators themselves and how do they get paid? Now you're looking at me funny, but I want to talk to you about when a movie makes money, visual effects artists, the grips, the the folks, the script writers, the animators, those not the big names, and these aren't people that are broke. I'm not saying that they're poor, but those are people who get kind of lost in the wayside as to when you change this model and and don't pay out the way that you normally would out of a theater to why this lawsuit is important, because it's not just going to influence an actor. It's going to influence other people who deserve money gained off of a film's release, whether that be through Disney plus or in a movie theater, because it all comes down to how the film earns. And so the most, I'm sorry, you disagree that they don't make money off of the film that they help make. Because you're wrong. Well, okay, maybe I'm wrong, but but none of these, none of the animators are making back end contract money. They get paid a wholesale dollar fee for what they do. They don't get paid after the movie comes out. They get paid before they do their work. Like, tell me, 
Show, tell me I'm wrong. Show me where I'm wrong, I and I'll be, it, I'll be very happy to say I'm wrong. Because distribution of points is money that's made afterwards. So just because you're talking, you're talking about an upfront contract, but if you've got points in your in your contract, and this happens for animators and producers and executives, it's it's distributed down. So it's not just like one or two. Yes, yeah, some people make scale or whatever. So sure, it's not everybody, but some of these folks that we're talking about that don't make Scarlett Johansson fifty million dollar money are impacted by not receiving revenue off of something if it's done other than to yourself but none of so, those folks are the people chris is worried about i would say a writer is absolutely influ- is impacted by points they get paid yeah okay yes but i don't <laughs> don't get hot if i'm wrong i'm not i'm get not hot. i'm trying to understand i'm trying to get my words together right. so i can understand it and articulate correctly and again i am i'm completely fine with admitting i'm wrong if you can show me that i'm wrong but I have never heard of Stephen McFeely and whatever the dude that wrote the Avengers movies. They don't get paid a back end cut from the Avengers movies because they sold a script to the company. So we're so talking you follow, about you followed wrong Mr. McFeely's uh, finances. I don't. Well, we don't know Scarlett Johansson's finances. We wouldn't have known until she came out. What I'm saying what is, I- it's pretty standard. It's pretty standardly known that actors get back ends off the movies because they're the ones who sell the movies. But the people who are doing the jobs, the content creators that Chris is worried about are getting paid and, for, getting and, paid for and their what work. what I'm telling you is that I can, I can tell you that contracts exist for points on back ends for more than just the actors. And sure, we, nobody gets those financials. Like who, who is sitting around unless you're sitting there reading you know, like, like if you're the accountant or whatever, like nobody's disclosing that stuff out there. But the, sure. those pieces do exist. And and again, I'm not saying that like every single person who's involved in a film, you know, and I and I overstated a little bit, but like I look at um, was it like the number of special effects companies that aren't named Industrial Light and Magic that don't get their money, like don't get paid for their work fairly as it is like they they literally walked out on the oscars a couple years ago because they weren't getting paid for the revenues that were being earned this is another kind of kick in the teeth with that because it's it is part of like revenue sharing is part of it and and it comes down to points and it's distributed now that's distributed by the production company right like so david ungar is our executive producer for example and he decides that tony gets two points ray gets three and i get one because I'm just a piece of shit. Because he's fighting for the little guy or something. But I don't if know. you're a piece of shit, then I want your point. Fuck that. Well, you you have a national champion basketball team to to get behind and hockey team. And hockey team. So yeah. anyway, yeah, my Tony, I'm taking your extra point away. Making damn those it. decisions, uh, but it's not as cut and dry as you you you. Everybody gets like this standard fear, or hey, like you sell a script and then you still get more to it. Anyway, this is going to be fascinating to see how it plays out. I agree. I think it's going to go to settlement. Um, I think that Scarlett Johansson could have been made, could have looked like the bad guy in all of this had Disney kept its trap shut uh, and really not come out with such a scathing response to the lawsuit. Like it's a scathing response. Um, but I'll I'll be interested to see where it goes. We'll we'll never know the actual settlement until it's rumored in the tabloids. Um, but this is going to be a landmark lawsuit for the future of 
streaming and theatrical releases. And, I, and I'm here for it, and I think we all are. Yeah. Is mayonnaise an instrument? What to go jellyfishing? What am I supposed to do all day while you're at school? Can I use your bathroom? Who's your friend? What does claustrophobic mean? <laughs> you know what the problem is? So this week's question is is first me confessing uh, something to to the three of you. I wish it was I wish it was more salacious than what I'm about to say, so I'm sorry that it's not going to be exciting. Um, I had never seen uh, the movie Creed until this past Saturday. The the uh, the the best Rocky sequel since Rocky II. Um, and I remember when the movie came out and was reviewed very well and people got nuts for it and me just kind of being like, yeah, I don't know, maybe. And so I am here before you today, gentlemen, to admit that I was late to the party when it came to Creed. And so my question to the three of you is what is a movie or television show that you were late to the party to in seeing what the big deal is, other than Ray, because we know he was late to the party on Flash Gordon. Um, you can't, you can't go Flash Gordon. Right? He hasn't even but got to the party yet, Pat. Jesus. What? I've seen what, five is what is something that you were late to the party to, <laughs> via whether TV show or um, or movie? Well, well, let me go first because mine have talked about it on the show, but I I was late to Mandalorian. I have absolutely zero interest ever in even looking at a commercial from it. And now it's my ringtone on my phone. No exaggeration. Also, Creed is my my favorite Rocky movie. It's my favorite movie in general, ever. So well done. Second one's good, too. Second one's fantastic. It's next on my my queue. It's next on my queue. Relax. Spoiler alert. It's coming. I still get this. I must break you again. So good. So good. Tony, you want to go, or you want me to go? I'm ready. If you're, unless you're ready, go you, ahead. You go ahead, Tony, because you've watched everything. So I'm curious about your response. I've watched a lot of stuff. Um, I'll say currently, I, I am four four episodes into season two of the Umbrella Academy, just for show purposes. Uh, thoroughly enjoying it. Deadwood. Never watched Deadwood when it was on HBO. Was on vacation during the summer, uh, maybe a couple years after it had finished. It was rainy and shitty for a few days, and so I sat down and watched the entire Deadwood series and loved every second of it. Um, so there's two, one, one from from a little bit farther back, one currently, and then in the future, let's let's cover then, now, and the future. I, I, it's it's. Um, Walking Dead and Breaking Bad, I still have left to cover. So there you go. Today, tomorrow, and yesterday, all in one. Yeah, I'll, I'll follow Tony's lead. Just about anything that I'm watching regularly now falls into Patrick's description. Uh, Stranger Things is the one that jumps to mind. I'm almost at the end of season three. Uh, yeah, how did this not become a part of my life before this? Simply fantastic show. I can't wait to see what happens. Game of Thrones, I'm real late on. You know, that's that's one for sure. Um, Cobra Kai and Doom Patrol, 
two shows that I'm watching a lot more now that I'm like definitely late to the party on those. They're all tremendous shows. So I think those are the main ones that I that I think I've been late to the party on. Game of Thrones, yeah, is probably pre- my my wife has surpassed me. She's like she's like on season seven now, and it's funny because she like fucked up and didn't know she bypassed season six and started season eight <laughs> accidentally and got <laughs> and got this big reveal like what's what the, going on? What the fuck's going on? And I was like, I think you skipped a couple seasons. So she wasn't she wasn't interested in the show because she's not into nudity and a lot of that sort of stuff. So she didn't want to watch it. She didn't want me to watch it. The next thing I know, it's like, the hell are you watching, babe? Game of Thrones? Like, what season are you on? When did you start doing this? Oh, on my own a while ago. So uh, those are the ones for me that stand out. I mean, Doom Patrol is really... I know, Pat, you've been watching it. That's fantastic. Oh, I've watched it. I've, I'm caught up. Uh, and, and Cobra Kai is so good. So uh, those are the ones that stand out to me. I'll, I'll throw in a couple of extras. Um, while I have expressed some frustration with it, I, I've, I'm watching The Flash. I'm coming to the... I'm at the party. It is a very good show. I'm on season two. And... Uh, Thumbs down, really, Ray? You don't like the flash? I'm joking. I'm just trying to mess uh, with Tony. Uh, can you hang up on him? Yeah, I, I can try. Um, I will say it frustrates me to no end that every goddamn person that Barry Allen runs into gets to find out he's the flash. Like, what the fuck? Every- we, we messaged about this already. Three and four are the best seasons, so just hang in there. Hey, random person on the street, I'm Barry Allen! Oh, God. <laughs> anyway, um, I started. I um. I'm watching the Harley Quinn animated series. Um, watch catching up with those on HBO Max. Also very very good. And then two that I've never watched that are old shows that I um have on my again they're on my HBO Max queue that I need to get out there and watch is uh The Wire. Never seen The Wire. I've heard that's a very very good show. And believe it or not, The Sopranos. I've never watched an episode of The Sopranos. And so. Um, looking to check that out um, when I have some downtime, so like September. Uh, so there you have it, everybody. You now know shows that we have all been late to the bandwagon. Now we know. And knowing is half the battle. All right. Quick little show today for us anyway at an hour and 40 some minutes. We are going to wrap it up here with a quick once around. Remind everybody where they can find you out there on the social medias because we have got to get out of here. Dave, kick us off today. Well, you can find me on Twitter at hashtag DC Marvel crossover. Right, Ray? There you go. Uh, you can also find me on Twitter at Attitude Ag. That is at Attitude A-G-G and on Facebook.com slash Attitude of Aggression. Ray Cash. Um, I've just changed my handle to at Scarlet was robbed. Um, but my old handle is at it's Ray cash. R U I is a mysterious C A S H as a dollars foreign color forever, baby. PC Sonny. Yeah. I, I think the funny thing is the conversation was walking out the door was, you know, if you made more money and weren't on Saturday night live, Scarlet said to Colin Jost, but you can find me at PC Tony on Facebook and Twitter. Please continue to listen to everything on your favorite streaming platforms by searching ChairShot radio network, the chairshot.com sports entertainment and sports entertainment. Always use your head. 
stupid TV. And movie. you can follow me on the Twitter at Wrestling Realist. That is at W R E S T L N G R E A L I S T. This is just for you, Tony, because I uh, forgot to do it. TheChairShot.com. Always use your head. ProWrestlingTees.com forward slash the chair shot. I'll say it slower. Tony did that like whole like disclaimer radio commercial voice. That was very nice. Um, This is part two of your double dose of Patrick and David. If you listen to chair shot radio this morning, you caught Dave and I's bands this week for musical chairs. We're having a lot of fun doing that. So make sure you listen to that. And every edition of chair shot radio Monday through Friday. Tiny Tim this morning. No. No, no Tiny Tim. Okay. Millie no, Vanilli? They all said voice was involved. Uh, okay. Yeah, that's true. All right. Miss Be- Piggy? Beethoven no. next week. No. Just hold on for that. Beethoven? All right. You can catch me on the Chairshot Radio Network every Monday on Chairshot Radio with Dave here, of course, on Bandwagon Nerds, and then every Wednesday with Craig DeMarco and Miranda Morales on the Babyface Heel Podcast. That's going to do it for this week's edition of Bandwagon Nerds. Now get yourself out of the basement, get some sun, and be like Scarlett Johansson. Get your money. This has been... Bandwagon Nerds on the Chairshot Radio Network, a part of the Chairshot.com. <laughs> your right hand do you swear to tell the truth the whole truth and nothing but the truth so help you god i do i mean i do mr falk do you know my client samantha cole yes Isn't it true that your relationship with my client is entirely platonic? I object, Your Honor! To yourself? Yeah. But I would like to rephrase the question. Uh. Mr. Falk, would I be accurate 
if I described your relationship with Mrs. Cole as totally professional. I object, Your Honor, and I move to strike! Mr. Reed, I don't know what you're on, but you better get to the point and quick. Thank you, sir. Is your relationship with my client entirely platonic? Not! Is not your relationship with my client, boink! Bad baby, bad baby. Did you ever not make love? Did you? <gasps> Mr. Reed. You had sex with her every time you met, didn't you? Didn't you? Liar! He's badgering the witness. It's his witness. You slammed her, you ducked her donut, you gave her dog a snossage. You stuffed her like a Thanksgiving turkey. <laughs> all right, all right, it's true, okay? I humped her brains out. There, now you happy? Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets and so much more download the app in virginia today and get 150 dollars in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at betmgm betmgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly see betmgm.com for terms 21 plus only virginia only new customer offer subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days please gamble responsibly gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER promotional offer not available in washington dc